Welcome to POP, the sermon podcast for Peace Lutheran Church in Gehenna, with Pastors Doug Warburton and Tony Katko. A uh, sermon series that we've been doing for the past three weeks, including today, which is 25, focusing solely on the three parables out of Matthew 25. Today's a very familiar one that I hope to rock your world with. Uh, It's called the Judgment of the Nations. And so uh, I'll read it first and then we'll explore it together. When the Son of Man comes, Jesus says, in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. And then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when it was that, and when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it we saw you sick or in prison and visited you and the king will answer them? Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. And then he will say to those at his left hand, you that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. Naked and you didn't give me clothing. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly, I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Yikes. So, a couple quotes from Nadia Boltz-Weber. As you know, I've quoted her frequently uh, over the years, and she struggles with trying to nail down a parable. That's what often we find ourselves doing is we try to nail it down and get to the, the meaning of it. And she says, trying to nail down one of Jesus' parables is like trying to nail jello to a tree. You just can't do it, and that's really not The purpose of his parables is to nail it. She also reflected on this particular parable, and she struggles with the fact that she doesn't think in this parable Jesus takes off his velvet glove of grace and replaces it with brass knuckles. 
But at the same time, we have to admit, Pastor Tony and I were talking about this parable this week, and sometimes it seems that scholars can bend over backward to try to take away any edge that this parable has at all, and it, it, it doesn't feel right to us because there's definitely some sort of an edge to this, but we also weigh in the fact that we recognize all throughout Jesus' ministry, he, was, he talked about grace. And so here, to have something that seems to deal with judgment it just makes us wrestle with it a little bit more. It's an interesting dilemma to think about. So here's the uh, common, the most popular way that this parable gets translated. We look for Jesus who is present in the poor, right? I mean, you hear this all the time, that Jesus identifies with the poor. And so it's right that those of us who have resources should feed the poor. That's the way this parable gets translated, that when we feed the poor, we're actually feeding and encountering Jesus. That's how we translate it. What would you say if I told you that Matthew, the gospel writer, would really be surprised that that's where we take this? Matthew is kind of shocked by this. I encountered a uh, brand new commentary written just recently by one of my all-time favorite professors at Trinity Lutheran Seminary. Some of you may remember Mark Allen Powell came here several years ago when we did a sermon series based on his book, Loving Jesus. It's an older book now, but I highly recommend it. But he did a brand new commentary and his, uh, his main area of focus throughout all of his life is Matthew. And so he did a commentary on the entire book of Matthew, and he kind of takes this in a whole different direction, mostly because he studied the entire gospel, and he doesn't throw all of it out with his interpretation of this parable. And so I want to I uh, explain and explore some of what Mark Allen Powell shares in his commentary with you, and I think if, if I do this right, you're going to leave asking more questions than you are and having more questions than answers. And that's the sign of good preaching. When you leave and you have more questions than you do answers, which means I'm an excellent preacher because you're always asking, what the heck did you just say? So let's continue. So let me start by pointing out a couple Greek words to you. The first one, when Jesus says he gathers the nations, it is the Greek word, and I expect you to repeat it after me, ethne. Ethne. It's probably where we get the word ethnic from, because nations translated ethne always, and Matthew uses this word frequently, always refers to Gentiles and pagans. So when Jesus says that the, the, this master gathers the nations on the time of the, the judgment, he's gathering the Gentiles and the pagans, the people who are not part of the faith yet. That's who Jesus is gathering, the, gent the Gentiles and the pagans. Now, let's look at the word for brothers and sisters. Jesus uses this word a lot in the Gospel of Matthew as well, and it is the word Adelphoi. Adelphoi. And it, whenever Matthew uses this word, brothers and sisters, he's actually referring to his disciples and close-knit people of faith that are coming alongside of this movement. 
So the nations is the Gentiles and the pagans, the brothers and sisters are those who are part of the faith. So when, when we translate that God is present in the poor as part of this parable, it's not at all what Matthew was envisioning. It's not what Matthew is describing. It's not that God doesn't bless the poor, because we certainly believe that. But when we look for God present, <laughs> when we look for God present, it's God, Jesus, uh, excuse me, what, what Matthew is always saying is that uh, God is present in Jesus and in the followers of Jesus. That's what Matthew is thinking. That's where Matthew is taking this. So think of some of the, the Bible passages from Matthew that prove this. At, toward the uh, more beginning of the gospel, chapter 10, Jesus sends out some of his uh, followers, his disciples. He sends them to go and make other disciples. And he says to them, whoever welcomes you welcomes me. There's another passage where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says to them, where two or three of you are gathered, I will be with you. And at the end, after he rose from the dead, his last words to his followers are, I will be with you until the end of the age. So God is always present in Jesus and Jesus is always present in in his followers. So it's hard for us to put ourselves in the mindset of what Matthew envisioned. Because picture, when Matthew wrote this, this, this group of Christians were upstart missionaries. It was just a handful of them. And, they, and uh, the, the word that Matthew uses to describe them is this Greek word, xenos, when he says stranger. When you welcome the stranger, it's xenos. And that literally today translates to undocumented immigrants. Undocumented immigrants, which is what the disciples are about to become. They're going to be sent out into the world, into places that are totally foreign to them. And as we know, undocumented immigrants almost always run into struggles and they're going to have to rely on the well, uh, good intentions of the other and so Matthew, Matthew never pictured our world where we still make up the majority of the world as Christians. Matthew had no concept that that would ever be the case because it was this handful of poor missionaries. And so to picture where we have resources and the wealth that we do and the, the power even in, in democracy that Christians have, Matthew could have never sensed that. And so what do we do with that today? So how do we take a parable that was obviously meant for that time and translate it into today? Because what Matthew is saying is basically, as my followers, I don't want you to just love the others. I want you to need them. I want you to rely on them. And so I was thinking about that today and I'm thinking, okay, so since we're now the majority in most of our worlds, where do we encounter those who Matthew might call the other? Would obviously be in people of other faith or atheists or agnostics, right? And so I was thinking, what does it mean that 
Matthew is encouraging his disciples to accept the gifts that others have to offer for your own well-being. You know what? who came to mind? Probably does for you too. Carl Sagan. Carl Sagan, do you remember him? Some of you probably are like, what, who's that? He was a, uh, uh, somebody who loved to study space, but he was a renowned atheist. But he loved to study the stars. And I can still remember hearing him when I was in school going, billions and billions of years of stars. And I love to listen to him talk. And he would even get into arguments and debates about, uh, from, he would argue with people of faith against faith. And, but he had a gift. He had knowledge like a lot of scientists do who, who aren't necessarily people of faith, but man, they have something to offer to our world, a knowledge that goes beyond me. I also thought of John Lennon, another well-known author or uh, atheist who wrote the song Imagine, which is called the Atheist Anthem. <laughs> Imagine all the... Uh, here, let me sing it a little bit for you. Imagine all the... Be- <laughs> I'll stop there. Yeah. Was I on? I was kind of... Okay, thank you. But, but it's a beautiful song, and, and even though he is an atheist, I will accept the gift of what he had to offer, because it's saying something. I, I, I also think of, sometimes I'll have people come to me and say they want a, to see a counselor, and then they'll say, I want it to be a Christian counselor, and that's fine. I, I certainly would encourage that if that's what you want, but I also will throw out that maybe seeing a counselor that is a good counselor is a priority. Whether they're Christian or not, if they're good at what they do, accept the gift of what they have to offer. Our neighbors, our literal next door neighbors are Muslim. And every time there's a a holy day for them, they cook a boatload of food and they bring some over to us. And I always say, I can't accept that, I'm a Christian. (laughs) I never say that. I always take the food and enjoy it because they have offered me a gift and I am called in the name of Jesus to accept others' gifts. So that's where I now take this parable. We spend a lot of time in church and in faith talking about going out and finding Jesus in the other. And we should, we should. That's a good thing to think about. But sometimes, and I think what Matthew's saying in this parable is remember that Jesus is most present in you. In you, his followers. And so when you go out and encounter the other, accept the gift that they have to offer. A different perspective, I think. 